Uh, last week, Pastor Selwyn, he was talking about Timothy and where specifically where Paul encourages Timothy to, uh, to fan into flame the gift of God. And as uh, Pastor So and I were talking this last week, we were saying, you know, there's a lot of people who serve God and who serve in the church and who serve in different ministries, and they serve really because of a whole bunch of different reasons, right? Some people, they serve um, because there's a need that's presented. Some people, they serve... Uh, simply to do a good deed. They want to do a good thing. And other people, they serve out of guilt, right? And still other people serve really out of their passion for Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was at BJ's with my two daughters. And, uh, and as soon as we get out of the car, Zoe, she looks at me and she says, um, Dada, I will not run around. I'm going to be a good girl, and I'm going to stay right with you, okay? The translation of that is, I am not sitting in the cart. When you're at BJ's, I am not sitting in the cart. And um, so I was like, that's fine. You better stay close to me. And she doesn't. As soon as we get into BJ's, her and Allie, they're running this way. They're running that way. Um, and so now I'm, I'm going down, like, the main aisle, and Zoe's ahead of me, and I turn down this one aisle, and... Um, and uh, I said, um, Zoe, come this way. And so at the same time, there's this another, there's a big guy who's got this long white beard. He's an older fellow. He's got tattoos down his arm. And um, he's pushing his cart kind of towards where, where I was up the main aisle. And so Zoe, she turns around and she looks at me and she's looking for me and she sees me. And so she starts running towards me and she does one of these and she quickly glances at this bigger guy and she runs over to me and she says dada dada i found jesus i found him he's he's right there i mean she was so happy that she found jesus and luckily for me this particular jesus um thought it was funny because he was just laughing and he pushed his cart along and went somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know if I told you. He was big. He was a big guy. And, and so Zoe, she was so happy. And I think it was because a few days before that, I was praying with the girls and I said, Lord Jesus, like some of you probably prayed this prayer, Lord Jesus, please help the girls find you at a young age. Right? And so I looked at Zoe and I said, shh, don't say that. That's not, that's not nice. And she said, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. That's not Jesus, but I, I think it was just God. <laughs> and so I was, I was just, I was laughing to myself about the whole thing. But I have to admit, it made me think a little bit. Because when I think about Jesus, was I really as happy as Zoe was? And I want to challenge you with this question this morning. Do you have the joy of the Lord in your life? Often when you look at the church, you'll notice that we can sometimes be the most unhappy, the most unpleasant, the most depressed, critical, cynical people around. You know, I read somewhere where somebody was saying that criticism oftentimes isn't even from outside the walls. It's all from within. Does this describe you? 
I mean, is it because that you've lost the joy of the Lord in your life? I mean, when you think about your relationship with Jesus, does it, does it bring a smile to your face? Do you, do you have joy in serving Him? Do you remember the first time that you recognized His presence? Do you remember the first time that you recognized His grace and His mercy and His unconditional love for you? Do you remember just longing to be in His presence? Do you remember talking to Him about everything? Do you remember when you were so sensitive to the presence of God and it would just, it would just break you? Do you remember saying that you would do anything for Him, that you would say anything for Him, that you would go anywhere for him and now this has become just a distant memory. I mean, maybe maybe you served him, maybe it was here, maybe you served him somewhere else, and and maybe you got hurt by somebody, by some insensitive people. Maybe maybe you just got burnt and you got burnt out and you feel a little bit tired and broken. Maybe you just experienced this tough life that's filled with pain and and suffering and just loss after loss after loss and now you've become cold now now you've become a little bit callous you've become suspicious of those who call themselves Christ followers or maybe you just slowly started getting back into your old life Maybe you're not fully immersed in whatever it was that you were doing before, but you're slowly dabbling into the things you know that you probably shouldn't be doing. And all of a sudden, you lost that spark that you once had. And all of a sudden, you've lost that joy that you had in the Lord. So I want to ask you this question today. What happened to your first love? You know, in the book of Judges, we, we read this story about Samson. Samson is this man of God from birth to manhood. His, his life is dedicated to God. He started the morning with God. He ended his day with God. And then gradually, Samson begins to flirt with evil. And little by little, evil comes into his life. And in Judges 16.20, it says that the Lord departed from Samson. What's amazing is that it goes on to say that Samson didn't even realize it. It's pretty sad, isn't it? I mean, Samson had become so deeply entangled in sin that God couldn't take it anymore, and so God left him. And Samson is so insensitive to the presence of God that when God left... He didn't even realize it. You know, this same kind of thing happened with King Saul, right? Saul is this man who loves God, and God loves Saul, and gradually Saul turns his back on God. And Scripture says that Saul goes off to this witch of Endor seeking help from the powers of evil because those are the forces that are now controlling him. You know, it isn't this giant step from virtue into corruption that we need to fear. It's these little steps that lead us away from the presence of God. So what about you? 
this morning. What happened to your first love? If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 2? And we'll read from verse 2 onwards. Revelation 2 and verse 2. Let me just tell you a little bit about what's happening here. John has this amazing vision, and he writes the book of Revelation. And part of this vision, Jesus is addressing different churches. And the first one he addresses in this section um, is the church at Ephesus. And you'll remember that Paul had ministered in Ephesus for three years, and he had warned these believers that there's going to be some false teachers who would come to try to draw the people away from their faith. And Paul leaves Ephesus and he writes his letters to Timothy where we find out that false teachers actually did come and sure enough they caused some problems here but the church was able to resist them and so Jesus begins to encourage the church and this is where we pick it up in verse 2. I know your deeds and I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have preserved, persevered, and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. But here's Jesus, and he is commending the church at Ephesus. He's commending them for their hard work. He's commending them for their patient endurance and their intolerance of evil. And for the fact that these people would suffer in his name. Now these are some amazing, amazing characteristics of a church. Right? Here's a church. They're busy uh, with good works as the church should be doing. And, uh, and here they are. They're suffering willingly for the cause of Jesus. This is a, an incredible description of the church. We would be so proud if Jesus were to say that about glad tidings, wouldn't we? And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops there, and he goes on in verse 4, and he says, You've done all these great things, but but I have this one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love, or you have left your first love. You have forgotten all about your first love. It's not that you don't love but it's that your love for God has, has changed drastically. Now, I doubt that one day the church decided that they're just not going to love God anymore. It probably didn't happen in this one giant step. It was probably this slow, gradual thing that happened in their lives. For a while, their love for God was great. It was so infectious that people were where they were drawn into their fellowship. There were great sermons that were being preached. There were amazing things that were happening with this group of people, and they were known far and wide for their faithfulness, even in the face of persecution. And all of a sudden, people who used to pray a lot probably stopped praying. And people who used to give a lot probably stopped giving. And people who used to witness a lot probably stopped talking to people about God. A lot of the original church founders were, were dying off, and a lot of the second-generation believers, they totally lost their zeal and their passion for God. 
I mean, here they are. They're a busy church. They did a lot to benefit themselves. They did a lot to benefit the community. But they were acting out of wrong motives. Doing things just to do good things. And so I want to ask you today, what motivates you to serve the Lord? What motivates you to serve Him? Uh, Is it because a need is presented? Are you motivated to serve out of guilt? Are you motivated to serve so that you can be connected? Are you motivated to serve to get some sort of recognition? Or are you truly motivated to serve out of your passion and out of your love for Jesus? The church at Ephesus wasn't motivated by their love for Jesus. And so Jesus looks at this church and he says, I have this one thing against you. You've forsaken your first love. You ever wonder what Jesus meant by that that word, the first love? I mean, do you remember your first love? Do you remember the day that you said, I do? Last weekend, Smitha and I celebrated Smitha putting up with me for 10 years. 10 years. It was our 10-year anniversary last weekend, and it doesn't feel like a day over 10 years. Because we look back and we thought, you know what, this has been amazing to see 10 years of God's faithfulness, 10 years of his mercy, 10 years of his grace, 10 years of his provision and his healing, 10 years of his unconditional love in our marriage. And we have friends who didn't make it to that 10-year mark. I have some friends back home, my Bible college friends back home who were married who didn't make it to that 10-year mark. I just walked through uh, a a separation and a divorce with one of my friends back home over the last year, and it was tough. It was tough for him. It's been tough for us. And I think before marriage, a lot of people, they're a little bit disillusioned thinking that they're not going to have any problems in their married life. They think that money is not going to be an issue. They think that the storms of life are not going to be an issue. They think that sickness is not going to be an issue because after all, we have each other. And that's the way first love is, isn't it? It loves the object of its affection without any reservation. It's totally being head over heels in love. And so what is first love in the eyes of God? It's that love that first brought you to him. It is the love that you experienced when when you saw the cross as it really is. First love in God's eyes was when you realized that the blood of Jesus was shed for your sin and you were so overwhelmed with his amazing love. And so because of all that, you decided to become a child of God and you experienced his forgiveness. You remember, you remember that time. Some of you, this happened maybe here at this church, maybe here at the altar, maybe where you are at your seat. Maybe it was at home. Maybe it was in the middle of the night. You just woke up and God spoke to you and you had a vision. Maybe it was in some other country, but you remember that point where that happened to you, don't you? 
You know, first love, it, it looks at mountains of troubles and it sees them as hills that need to be conquered. First love looks at rivers of worry and pain and it says, this is nothing because God and I, we can swim through this together. First love looks at stumbling blocks and sees them as stepping stones. Right? First love says, just give us a mountain to climb. Give us a river to swim. Give us something to, to do to prove the greatness of God's love and how powerful he really is. This, this is first love. Do you remember your first love? First love is vulnerable. Your first love needs to be protected. It needs to be reinforced. First love is not selfish, and it gives itself away totally and completely. So we wonder, how, how do you lose your first love? You know, after Smith and I got married, we were forced to live apart until my green card was processed. And unfortunately, during this process, I, I couldn't cross the border. And she could. And so anytime she would get some time off of work, she would come up to Toronto and we would, we would spend our time together. And, and every moment was precious because being apart was hard. It was difficult. And some of our international families, you know exactly what that's like. like and, and, and you've had some worse situations than we have. And so we spent the early parts of our marriage just talking to one another on the phone. And we were sharing our hopes sharing our dreams, and when we were apart, we were thinking about each other, wishing that we were together again. And there's, there's other couples who, when, when they have become husband and wife, they immediately build this cocoon around themselves, and they say that we're always going to be together, and life is going to be so wonderful, and all of a sudden, I mean, there's jobs to go to, right? There's appointments that need to be kept. kept. There's bills that need to be paid. There's stresses that need to be dealt with. There are screaming kids that need to be handled, diapers that need to change, uh, homework that needs to be helped finish, and arguments and problems and family issues and fusses. And all of these things, all of a sudden, they bring tension into the marriage. And soon these demands become so overwhelming. And if you don't take the time to communicate with each other, your love relationship is going to suffer. It's not that you don't love each other anymore, but maybe your first love has been lost. And so if you're not careful, and if you fail to communicate, one day you're going to look across the table at each other and you're going to think, I don't even know who this person is anymore. I mean, I feel like your roommate. I don't know you. You know, it wasn't this instantaneous leap from passion to apathy. What happened is your love has been starved and it didn't receive the nourishment that it needs to grow healthy and strong. And I wonder if this has happened with some of our relationships with Jesus. We've allowed the busyness of our lives to get in the way of communicating with Him. Some of us, we've allowed our careers to get in the way of spending time in His presence. Some of us, our finances have so consumed us. Some of us, suffering and pain and loss have made us so depressed 
And it's not like we don't love Jesus. It's just that our love for him has changed and we've lost our first love. This is probably the way it was in Ephesus. There were so many good things going on. They were satisfied. They were content. They were making good things happen. And yet, Jesus says, they have forsaken their first love. You wonder how, how does this first love just go away in, in Matthew chapter 24? He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many grows cold. I mean, this is the way sin is, right? It's not by taking this giant step from virtue to corruption. It's just these, these little steps. And as wickedness increases, this warm, beautiful love becomes cold. When wickedness begins to increase, we begin to lose sight of how, si- how serious sin really is. And we begin to lose the thrill of our redemption, don't we? And so I want to ask you this question again this morning. Do you remember the first time that you asked Jesus to come into your heart and into your life? Do you remember how enthusiastic you were? So where do we, where do we go from here? How do we get our passion for the Lord back? How do we get our enthusiasm back? And if you continue on in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, 5, Jesus is very simple and he's very direct. And this is what he says. Remember where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm going to come to you and I'm going to remove your lampstand out of its place. Unless you repent. Right? Jesus says three, three things to the church to get their passion back, to get their first love back. He says, remember, he says, repent, and he says, do. Right? The first thing he says to us is he says, take some time and remember. Right? Over over this last week, Smith and I we were talking, we said, Do you remember what you were doing ten years ago? Do you remember, we took some time to say, hey, do you remember what it was like on our wedding day 10 years ago? I want to ask you this question. Do you remember how it used to be when you first asked Jesus into your heart and into your life? Do you remember your excitement at the Word of God in your life? Do you remember your your longing to be in His presence? Do, Do you remember how sensitive you were to sinful things? Do you remember how you couldn't wait to get to church to hear more about God? Do you remember how you used to talk about what God was doing in your life to your friends and your neighbors and your family? Do you remember standing in awe at the thought of the cross? And this morning the Lord is asking us to take some time and remember those early times. And once you take that time to remember maybe you'll begin to recognize where that change happened in your life. I mean, what, what was it that changed for you? What was it that changed from that point to now? I mean, what got in the way? Did your career get in the way? Did entertainment get in the way? 
did people get in the way? Did we have kids who have taken so much of our time? Maybe those things got in the way. Or maybe for some of us, sin got in the way. The second thing Jesus tells us to do is he says, repent. Right? If you go back and read through the prophets, God would speak through his, his people, his, his prophets, and they would stand before the people of Israel, and, and God would command the people of Israel. He would say, repent. Now, there's a lot of Christians who have this misconception about what repentance is. They think that repentance is saying, God, I'm sorry. And then they go back to doing all the same things that they were doing before. That's not what repentance is. It's not living your life the way you want to Monday to Saturday and asking God for forgiveness on Sunday. That's, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is not feeling bad about what you've done wrong. Repentance is not feeling guilty, and repentance is not feeling sorry. Confession is not repentance. Suffering is not repentance. But repentance is acknowledging what you've done wrong, changing your mind, changing your heart, and totally turning away from sin and turning to God for forgiveness. And it is all motivated by our love for Him. That's what repentance is. And when we are repentant before the Lord, He begins to carry the weight of our sin off of our shoulders he begins to carry it on himself. And this is when love begins to be restored. And if we decide not to repent, Jesus says at the end of verse 5, I'll just come and remove your lampstand out of its place. Meaning if you don't repent, the church fails to be the church. You know, back in the day, there was a candlestick in the temple that gave light so that the priest could see. And Jesus asked that the church give light to their surrounding communities. And so Jesus warns the people in Ephesus, he's warning us today that our lights could go out. And Jesus himself would be the one to extinguish that light if we don't repent. Repentance is a serious, serious issue. The third thing that Jesus tells us to do is he says, redo, right? He says, do the deeds that you did at first. Go back to the things that you did when you first found Jesus. Go back to the things that you did when you first asked Jesus to come into your heart and come into your life. Spend time with him. Communicate with him. Tell him about your worries and your troubles and your problems and all of your joys and all of your acclaims. Tell him. Talk to him. Read his word. Seek his presence. Grow a hunger to be in his presence again. Seek his face. And if we do this, we'll find that we're finally going to return to that same zeal that we once had. We're finally going to return to that same passion, that same excitement for the Lord as we refocus our priorities off of ourselves and onto him. How is your love for him this morning? Has your love for Jesus faded? Has your love for him grown weary? Has it grown tired? Has it, has it grown cold? 
I believe the Lord is challenging us. And he is longing for so many of us here today to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Let's stand together this morning. With our eyes closed and our, and our heads bowed, There's so many of us here who we just need to come back to our first love. And I don't believe that this is a, an instantaneous thing. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some days and weeks to grow a hunger and a longing for his presence, a longing to seek his face. Let it begin today for us. This morning, this is God's invitation to you. Come back. Come back to your first love. Would you just take a few moments right now? Just remember about those times of, of how it used to be, how, how you love to be in his presence. Just take some time right now. Just remember that moment where you asked Jesus to come into your heart, to come and rule, to come and reign in your life. to come to the Lord humbly and honestly turn away from the wrongdoings that we have done for neglecting him we just need to turn to him do those first works one more time altars open if you need prayer somebody will pray with you if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart to rule and reign I want to tell you it is the best decision that you can ever make with your life it's not an easy decision it's a hard decision living for him but it is worth it it's so worth it somebody at the front here will pray with you to spend some moments in worship as we come back to our first love. My Jesus, I love you. I know thou art for thee